Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination. Hello, friends. This is Chris Marchand. Every year since we've started this podcast, I've been able to do a special Christmas episode. The first two years featured my thoughts on service during the holidays and taking rest during the holidays. This year is a little bit of a change of pace. The subject is sad Christmas songs. This tent talk is taken from an article I've just had released through Christ in Pop Culture, an online magazine. You can check it out there. It's called On the Importance of Sad Christmas Songs. After my tent talk, I've invited Sean McCoy to come discuss it with me. And our conversation goes in many directions, all of them tied down to this concept of the sad Christmas song. I hope you enjoy it, hope it finds you wherever you're at, and I hope it helps you to see Christmas songs a little bit differently. This is a talk about sad Christmas songs. So let me say right from the beginning that I give you permission to be sad this year during Christmas. I give you permission to feel whatever you need to feel. Maybe you didn't need permission from me, but I don't know. For some reason, I I think it might help. This is about Christmas songs, Christmas music, the carols, the melodies, the the songs that we most love, and perhaps the songs that drive us the most crazy. In recent years, people have really come to hate certain Christmas songs. I'm thinking specifically of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, Paul McCartney's Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time, or Take That's Last Christmas. I'm not going to talk about those songs. I'm going to to go over some other songs. But before I do, I want to acknowledge something. Something that, at least for me, I live in America, seems to be a kind of all-pervasive cultural sentiment, which is this, that you have to be merry at Christmas. That it has to be a season where you just walk around looking at the lights and seeing your your breath crystallize in the cold air and enjoying the presents and the music and the spiced apple cider and whatever else you want to eat and the merrymaking and the gathering with friends. And you're just supposed to feel like it's one big happy, happy, joy, joy time. But think about it. How do you feel about Christmas? Chances are you feel pretty conflicted. And there's a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of resentment, a lot of sorrow. And so many of us feel that pressure to feel something, something good, something positive. You know, it's funny. The stores use that feeling to try to get us to buy things for ourselves, for others. They don't exactly want us feeling sad during the holidays. 
But I've spent a lot of time with people over the years. I, I work in a senior living facility. I have done church ministry. And I know what Christmas can be for a lot of people. It's a time when many people are alone, when many people avoid gathering with family because of the dysfunction, because of the hurt that they carry with them from past memories and traumas. Many people don't have friends to spend the time with, so they spend it alone. Maybe they'll put on a movie or play some music for themselves. Maybe you can be like Mr. Bean at Christmas and send yourself a present or a card. So here is something that I've realized over the years, that there are a number of sad Christmas songs that are beautiful and somber and plaintive, mournful. They are these precious laments that can help us through the holiday. But you first have to be told about them. couple of things first before I get any, go any further. I brought up this idea to a friend of my mom's and I said, I'm going to do an article. I'm going to write an article on sad Christmas songs. And she's a pretty blunt lady and I like her. I like her, her wry sense of humor. She goes, why would you want to do that? And I actually knew she was pretty much more than half serious. Why would you want to dwell on the sad aspects of Christmas. Why would you want to be negative during the holidays? Hey, buddy. Hey, kiddo. There's enough sadness in the world. Why dwell on the negative stuff? And here's maybe what I would say in response to her. For the very reason that we watch sad movies, for the very reason that we spend time going to counselors, we have support groups, Bible studies, whatever it looks like, we just get coffee with a friend. Much of our lives It's about dwelling in sadness, or it's about avoiding that sadness. I think sad Christmas songs help us through. They give us a special moment in time where we can sit and reflect on the years gone by, on the year gone by, on the people, the relationships, the losses, whether we've lost friendships or people have died, whatever it looks like for us, what I'm going to argue for is that a sad Christmas song is it can be a healing balm to our souls. Here's another thing, another point I wanted to bring up. I teach a class on American history and I really enjoy it. I also teach a class on American literature. And so it's really quite amazing being able to bring great works of American literature to young people. However, it doesn't take very long into my year before I have to bring up something that is tragic or traumatic or horrifying about American history. So for instance, I I taught about the Scarlet Letter, which leads to the Salem witch trial and the role that many people played in that. The Scarlet Letter was written by Nathaniel Hawthorne, whose ancestors, whose grandfather was one of the perpetrators of the witch trial in the execution of a number of women in their town. Along with that, I have to talk about American slavery, of how Africans were sold off, robbed by Europeans, and a whole system was created of atrocities that was then systematized throughout the course of American history. We've read the poems of Phyllis Wheatley. We've talked about the three-fifths clause in the Constitution. We read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Now, what eventually happens into these really 
kind of complicated, hurtful, confusing. They're bewildering, these conversations with kids. Sometimes they're hearing these things. I mean, they, they, they know about American slavery. They've heard about the Salem witch trial, but oftentimes they've not taken time to really reflect and look upon these events and why they happened and how people responded to them up till the present, up till now. And so what ends up happening is they begin to get defensive. Why are we taking such a negative view of our, of our history as Americans? And there's kind of this knee-jerk reaction to look away from the pain, to look away from the trauma. In fact, another common reaction is, especially to slavery, is that, well, my people didn't do this. And you know what? These things were of their time. Why should we spend our time being negative and blaming the people that came before us? We need to learn how to move on. And it's not healthy to continually hold on to these horrible things that happened in the past. Let's live in the present. Now, there are some elements of that, that, uh, that natural response that can be used for good. The desire to move on, the desire to make things better in the present. But here's what I did this year. Rather than laying the blame, let's say at white people. Hey, white people did this. I, I do mention that quite a bit, actually. I mentioned the, the legacy of Europeans and what they've done, especially the British Empire. I do talk about that. But rather than simply focus on the blame, I encouraged my students to do something else this year. I said, rather than pointing fingers at each other or pointing fingers at the past, sometimes I think it's important to just allow ourselves to be sad to be willing to look at the history and allow ourselves to mourn, to grieve at the loss, at the tragedy, at the lives that were taken, at the pain that people had to endure. You know, one of the things that I thought about in regards to all of our histories and in regards to sad Christmas songs, I know this might sound shallow comparing the horrible atrocities of history with Christmas songs, but one of the things that I've thought about is we need to create an alternate version of Job's friends who came to sit with him in his pain and in his suffering. The problem with Job's friends is that they spoke up and started giving him advice, telling him what he should do or making assumptions about what he did do and thus why he deserves what he is going through. Job's friends can't keep their mouths shut. I think what I would encourage us to learn how to embrace is how to keep our mouths shut and just be sad. Just sit with our own grief and be willing to sit with the grief of others. And in those moments, then we don't have to point fingers anymore. We can just look at the world and mourn. I think there's a lot of healing to be done in being sad. And this leads me to talking about Christmas songs. I think our carols, the classic ones, are so familiar to us that we actually can't really even hear them anymore. Take O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is actually an Advent carol and comes from this ancient liturgy and prayer called the O Antiphons. And so every verse of the carol starts with an O, O something, O Come Thou Rod of Jesse, O Come Thou Dayspring. O come thou key of David. Well, the first verse begins, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and 
ransom captive Israel. Now, where are we? <laughs> we are in exile, right? It says there in the, in the next line, that mourns in lonely exile here. These are lyrics being sung by a people who have been taken captive and made slaves, made prisoners, whatever, made servants in a foreign land, a land not their own, the, not the land that God has promised for them. And then it says this, so they mourn in lonely exile until the Son of God appears. Now, the next verse says, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. So I should note here the refrain, the chorus of this carol, to rejoice, rejoice, for Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Notice the juxtaposition of the darkness of the verses, the unknown of what's going to happen to them. Christ has not yet come for these people. They are in desperation. They're in the unknown that maybe this is where they will be for the duration. Maybe there is no deliverance. Maybe this is all they will ever know. Captivity in a foreign land. And yet there's the hoping. It's not an empty hope. It is not a put a nice shiny bow on your suffering and pretend it's not there. No, it is just a continual reminder that God has not left us. God has not forsaken us. Another example of this is a little town of Bethlehem. But let me read the first verse to you. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What I particularly like about that is, is again, it implies a season of waiting. When Jesus was born, sure, there was the star, there was proclamation of angels. Some people knew, some people got it. But did they really? How could they have fully understood who Jesus was going to be? Of what he would proclaim with his life. Instead, as this song implies, that all of the years leading up to Christ's birth were years of unknowing. That's what Advent was. That's what Advent is. And it's so interesting that Christ has come into our world. If you're a follower of Christ, you proclaim that, you believe that. And yet the world is full of so much trouble we get to these places in our lives where we just throw our hands up in the air and we think that nothing is going to change. That the world is always going to be this way, this horrible mess. Our families are going to be screwed up. Our political world is just is going to be this toxic mess of ugliness at all times and there's no way to escape it. Yes, I am a follower of Christ. I have a lot of hope in whatever... God is shaping this world into being, however however he will remake it. And yet, I feel like 
about as sad as I've ever felt. I have felt, I feel now this year about as burdened as I've ever felt. I mean, I could, I could give you a list. Do you want me to give you a list? My father-in-law died. It's been really hard for my family. It's about one year to the day almost as I record this, that my own church closed. It was a, a community that I had built for a decade with another pastor, with, with my family and other families. And, and there are people that I haven't seen in a year, and I don't even know if they like me anymore. <laughs> I'm not saying that to gain sympathy. I'm saying it to describe my own bewilderment. People that were normally in my life every week, maybe a couple of times a week, are just gone. My wife continues to struggle with illness. Now that I'm in middle age, we're in middle age with our family. Our kids are getting a little bit older, still some really young ones. I'm looking back and thinking, wow, is this where I wanted my life to be? Am I, am I where I wanted to be by this age? There's just a lot for me to reflect on. Perhaps you're in a similar spot. Really, I only skimmed the surface of things that I could actually talk about. There's more just about me. But what about the world that we live in, the nation, the culture? In my country, there's talk about civil war. Maybe that's a privilege to be able to say that it, civil war hasn't been a reality for our people here for quite some time. But I'll tell you what, it is interesting when people start to discuss how violence might break out, how the political rifts between our parties, our government and the states, and our people will never be reconciled. That there's two countries living within the same country, and the differences are so wide between them that they'll never find a way to work together. When violence begins to be a reality, I'll tell you, it creates a lot of anxiety. So what does it even mean to sit and relax and enjoy Christmas? To have a lovely holiday season that we all feel good about. Since the pandemic has happened, since the elections of 2016 and 2020, since all the movements and wars and protests that have been going around the world, and in America, I should add, the mass shootings. People are afraid. People are living in fear. It's all pervasive. What would make your list? What anxious thoughts are plaguing your mind? What are you carrying with you this holiday season when you gather with your friends and family? So here's what sad Christmas songs have the ability to do. They create for us as singers and listeners what I would call a liminal moment in the present. We pause. We just listen to the song. We let it wash over us. In doing so, we look back on the loss of Christmas's past or just the losses of the last year or the years of our lives. But we also look forward to the uncertainty of Christmases in the future. We don't know what lies ahead for us. It could get a lot worse. There's a lot of uncertainty in the future. But in the uncertainty and pain of the present comes the song and its lyrics of hopeful lament. 
Even though we cannot have the Christmas we desire in the present, a sad Christmas song can help us make a peaceful acceptance with the way things are. It can teach us how to embrace our sorrow and our loss. In so doing, we end up having not the merry little Christmas of our ideals, but it's the real Christmas in front of us. For those of us that have lost loved ones, for those of us that have, have broken relationships, for those of us who it's never been that Christmas has never been this this happy, joyful, exuberant time that many people expect it to be. A sad Christmas song can help us make peace with that. It is a Christmas of joyful sorrow realized internally in the moment through the aid of a lyric and song. One of my favorite Christmas composers is somebody who's alive right now, Sufjan Stevens. He has written and recorded numerous original Christmas songs. One of my favorites is called The Child with the Star on His Head. To me, this song encompasses so many things at once. It is about the tensions between the sacred and secular divides in Christmas. It is both personal and communal. It is certainly a lament, while also incredibly hopeful. What I like about it is how it acknowledges all the contradictions swirling within and without us, and how the holiday itself seems to embody that. It's funny. Sometimes we find ourselves at these Christmas celebrations thinking, how did I get here? Or why did I subject myself to this once again? I have to sit here and be with these people? And the room gets hot because there's too many people in the house. And you just want to leave. You want to run for the hills to break out, to break free. And yet here I am once again trapped. I'm trapped with these people and I'm trapped with myself. I don't know which one I despise more. <laughs> All of them or me. Well, here's what, what, what Sufjan says in this song, which I think is poignant because I bet he's describing how he views Christmas. And yet... He's describing it for us all. He says, Once in a while you may think you see better than the others Scrambling around in the dark with your drum There is a time when young men must grow up and be brothers. Are you afraid of growing too fast? When the child with the star on his head shoulders and the mother with the child on her breast blessed is she among the men and the trust we put in things in small ideas in engineering the world 
of sports and second best and consequences we will not put to rest. What I see in this is we get caught up in so many pursuits that are not worth our time. Pursuits, in fact, that perhaps tear us down, destroy us, lead us into ruin. We are petty. We are filled with an, an endless amount of resentment toward the people that have hurt us, and we can't let go. And we're also consumed by things that are so temporal. So many things that only last for a moment. He lists some of these things. Engineering, the world of sports. But later on in the song, he, he talks about dictionaries, and again, he mentions engineering and calendars and televisions and i don't know why he says this but he also says and father's friends and consequences during christmas during the new year we're reminded of the things that we haven't been able to let go of we're reminded of how weak in fact we are and every year i put on sufyan's the child with the star on his head and it makes me sad but I have to admit, it's also a huge relief. The world doesn't rest on my shoulders. That's something I can rejoice in. And by the time the song reaches its climax, and it's a long instrumental and the choir kicks in, I'm rejoicing. I think that the culture that I come from is really, really good at self-condemnation, self-flagellation. And there might be a reading of Sufyan's song here that is just almost like self-abuse. You kind of can't stand yourself, can't stand the people around you. There's enough guilt and shame in the world, right? But that's not actually how I read it. I actually read it Maybe something similar to C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Weight of Glory, where he says that we're so contented with making mud pies at our, at our home where we're at that we don't realize that God is calling us to experience the ocean and the beach. And we get caught up in so many things that are not worth it. So this song reminds me of that. By all means, if Christmas makes you happy, let it. I'm not saying any of this to stop you. But I am perhaps encouraging you to consider what it it might mean for you to slow down and allow yourself to be sad. And our best songs help us through our seasons of grief. I think maybe that's one of the saddest, most despairing things of all, is when we realize how powerless we are, how limited we are, how little 
each of us are able to do with the time we are given. And I think there's something beautiful about embracing that fact. But if we don't allow ourselves to be sad, we will never actually come to a place of realizing exactly what it is that we should be doing. What little bit of the garden should we be tending? A sad Christmas song is that angel of the Lord sent to comfort us. When we have fled into the wilderness, are sat beneath the juniper tree, and are unsure of what our next steps should be. Stop. Slow down. Allow your heart to sing a sad song until you know it is time to move on. Christmas is our opportunity to slow down and assess. We mark the time and take stock of the year. The winter solstice, Christmas, New Year's, they all point to new beginnings and rebirth. And thus we almost instinctively view this time of year as our chance to begin again, again. Another year has passed and We may not have lost all that weight we wanted to, or visited all the places we wanted to go to, or fixed all the problems we expected would be resolved by now. Nonetheless, while darkness looms outside our door and anxiety, anger, and selfishness looms within, the resetting of our annual clock is the rhythmic reminder that change is possible that those things we aspire to can become a reality. My annual cycle, indeed, sometimes my daily cycle, is one of despair and hope, death and rebirth, decay and renewal. Our sad Christmas songs, and the way we return to them every year, are our musical reminders of this same cycle. They do not so much as remind us that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but instead that Even though the world has not yet fully been made right, one day it will be. They help us lament and keep on hoping, making peace with the disappointments of the past and the unknowns of the future. They are an oral therapeutic remedy, bringing us to a place of acceptance and transformative grief. Christmas may remind us of loved ones who are gone, of love's lost, of the brokenness of it all from our family and friends all the way down to the cracks of civilization itself. But sad Christmas songs can get us through as we stare out our windows into the cold winter night, embracing the world before us. All right, I'm going to go off and listen to a sad song of my own now. Peace to you. Sean, I am excited to be able to talk with you today. I'm so curious what you want to say. What's your reaction? What are, what are some of the things you want to discuss regarding anything that I mentioned, whether that's specific songs that you enjoyed or the songs that you listened to that I recommended, or even just Christmas memories. I, I know that Christmas is 
something you've struggled with over the years. And that's actually why I wanted to bring you on because my initial contact with you is, it really makes me laugh just thinking about it. I wrote a Christmas book, right? So I, I've put in two, three years of effort writing a Christmas book. And this guy reaches out to me. He's like, yo, I'll have you on the podcast. I don't really like Christmas though. <laughs> you know? And it's always kind of funny. You were like, you know, you started out as like a curmudgeon, like a Scrooge. And it's like, but I'll have you on. We'll talk. It'll be fun. And I was like, I like this guy. I, li- I appreciated your honesty, you know? So, so where are you at? What do you want to talk about? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, considering uh, having me on, even though it's a podcast we both know well. Um, you didn't go very far outside the edges, but I do I just want to say to the listeners and the, the Rachels and the others that we know from from this particular podcast that it's, I just never take for granted the chance to have a voice and that, you know, one day in a pub in England, I'd love to speak to every tent talks listener that we have and give their perspective of what they think about some of the things that we've talked about. Because it's one of the things I love about podcasting is that connection we have on a real level. It's not up and over uh, kind of thing. But yes, when I did reach out to you many years ago uh, around that, and, and I do want to clarify just a tad. It wasn't that I was a, I, I, I hadn't lost my faith. It was just, I guess I had lost a little bit of faith and struggle because the ir- irony, and we've talked about this a little bit before, was I, Christmas was my favorite time of year for a long time. Like it was the one thing, the decorations and the songs and the the spirit of Christmas as we like to talk about it. Just, I mean, of course, it's when miracles happen. It's when we find joy. It's when it comes to the forefront. It's, uh, and you're looking for this experience, this, this beyond um, the rest of the year, if you will. It's when it's, it, you're dreaming of a white Christmas as the song goes. And, um, you know, these visions. But as a kid, I remember loving every song. I could sing them. I still can. Even the ones that you mentioned that people may not like, whether it was Mariah Carey's, which my favorite thing to do is to watch that, hear that, that song with the gothic dancers in the background. I don't know if you've seen that that mix. But they, it's really funny because all these gothic kids in an underpass, like in... Some, some some major metropolitan city and they're all like super gothed out. But the way that they dance, the rhythm catches her song and they overlap it. So it's, oh, so their dance isn't original to the song. No. I've seen I've seen that meme. I yeah. think they've memed it like with yeah. other songs too yeah, for yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but you do it over right. And it's because it's look, it's a goofy song. Everybody knows it. Uh, it's it's part of my favorite Christmas music, a movie, which is Love Actually, you know, or even Paul McCartney's, you know, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Like what's, I don't know, what's not the like? Now, maybe our friends in the UK and in Europe are rolling over in their proverbial <laughs> studio listening to this going, how can you like that song? But there's an element that, it, you know, the messaging, or at least the, the, the initial intent that I received for a long time was, Yes, come one, come all, as well as the sad ones. Uh, the song, you know, when the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, da 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 and then I don't feel so bad. That, that's a Christmas song, you know, around that, that time. So there's a little... So, so that's from The Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah. Is that... See, that's funny that you associate. I'd never associated that song with Christmas, but is that is that true? I would hear it like every Christmas as a kid. You'd hear it. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. Yeah. Okay. I just think it's sound of music, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 more of the you know it's kind of the context of when those songs come across. Um, but that's what I I remember. The, so I didn't mind the lamenting side of it because I also knew that Christmas wasn't. Uh, I learned kind of early and and and, and uh, uh, quite quite frankly that you know. The idea was really nice. There was a couple of years where I had this uh, belief that all I had to do was be a good boy for a year. Just had to be a good boy, Chris. 
song tells me that you know just gonna check it twice <laughs> that brings up i mean that's that, that's about christmas music but that brings up some issues regarding the the, the quote theology of santa yeah, claus which yeah. is like essentially should santa claus be used as a guilt uh inducing tool for children yeah. and then if we're doing that like why are we doing that yeah. and yeah. and then it's interesting to hear people defend like i i am neither um an anti or a pro santa claus like I guess in some ways I'm anti in the sense that just we did we didn't teach our kids about them. We didn't say Santa Claus is bringing gifts, but we're also not anti in the like no, you know, um, there's no adamant teaching against him, which is definitely a thing. It's fine if that's what you want to do. It's more like oh, to me it's more about the the fairy tale, the myth around it. But to to, to think that that you had that instilled in you as a kind of a you yeah. know that you saw the world that way, right? Yeah, that was a moral compass. It was kind of this. And I, as a young person, thought, well, I can do that. I don't mind being a good boy. And what better? And then at the end of the day, I get to make a list. And uh, you're going to bring whatever it is, so much a elf somewhere just going to magically create I, all the stuff I sell on the television that I couldn't have throughout the year that you know we weren't uh, that we weren't able to get. Uh, I could just be a good boy and ask for it, and that would work. And then you know a couple of those where you know there was the, the the results were mixed and then and then my family fell on some uh, significantly difficult economic times in the 80s and so <laughs> so literally having a christmas with nothing uh like waking up in the morning and there isn't there isn't anything there can, and and that wasn't the thing and that didn't deter me to be honest uh because I, what i didn't lose sense of and didn't lose sight of which i absolutely loved about it was you could could the quality of the gift is always something that I think is extremely important. And it's part of my detachment now where it's more transactional and it's more just buy a gift for the sake of it. I have, hopefully, I don't think they'll ever listen to this, but I have um, two shirts of the exact same type, same size, same, same thing that I was given two years in a row by family members because they didn't remember that they bought the shirt for me the year before, but they seemed like it was something nice that I would like but they have no idea, you know, it's kind of this, and that's where I start to struggle now is it should mean something. And I, and one of my favorite moments I have, I, I can tell you everybody in my family, I have made cry at Christmas because of gifts that I've given them because I knew that it was going to get them. And I'm setting my family up this year. Um, my, my, my wife and my three kids, they don't know. And they don't, they don't, <laughs> speaking of podcasts, they don't listen to this podcast either. And so <laughs> nobody's family members do. It's the big you're that, safe. You're yeah, safe. We're safe, but I have a plan for the four. We lost our dog earlier this year uh, to cancer, and so I've done something for each one of them individually to capture the memory of of the dog. So, so let me just mm -hmm. hear you correctly. In through all your struggles of Christmas, mm -hmm. there is still something inside of you that you still love to give, like true gifts. They're, they're, oh, it's yeah. still there. Yeah. It's still there. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah because I mean, whether it's at Christmas or I mean. Just when somebody says, ever, if anybody's ever sent you something, I don't know, when it, when it means something, I, I have a gift from some guys that, that, that I know in Croatia that sent me this little, uh, it's a it's just a little painting of the old fort in Sisak uh, in Croatia that they gave me. And I don't know what it costs. I don't care what it costs. So I, I believe in the premise of a thoughtful gift and how that can create a connection with somebody else and that kind of thing, which is on some level supposed to be this spirit of Christmas that we were taught growing up. But, but you are right. As you start, because when I was younger, I didn't have the faith element pulling from me. It was just, there's this cool Santa Claus things. Every once in a while, somebody would mention Jesus' birthday. I was like, okay, I guess it kind of coincides with it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a have to, I didn't have to go to mass on, on Christmas or Christmas Eve or the day after. And it was never that part of it. It was just kind of a package deal, I guess. 
Um, but it didn't, and that's all, and that's also part of my current struggle is how many people I know that just cannot stand Christianity, but, you know, but then we'll judge, literally judge others uh, in terms of whether or not they got somebody a Christmas gift. And this is kind of like, man, you know, <laughs> this is where the spirit gets derailed, if you will. It's interesting to think about true gifts are surprising and in humbling to the extent where it kind of stops you in your tracks and you think, what you did, what for me? And, and, and you almost don't know what to do with it. So like the, the surprise, the audacity of a true gift versus I'm going to, you know what, you know what, I'm going to name it. You, they gave you an off gray polo. You know, that's, that, that's, I, I yeah. you know, yeah. it's like the most boring shirt possible. It, was, it becomes blue. rote. It's dark blue. It's blue. Yeah. It is a dark polo blue. shirt. It is exactly that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to, I was, I was almost there. I almost you guessed there. it. Oh, you're close. Very, very close. <laughs> so when gifts become rote, well, then it's not really a gift. It's just an obligation and it's, it's, it's own tradition. It's like, you know what it is? You mentioned communion. You mentioned mass. I'm just obligated to go up and take the 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 body and blood. Hmm. You know, it's like okay, here I am, another Sunday, yeah. another Christmas, whatever, whatever. As opposed to the awe of the gift. Yeah. And and maybe that's like I guess I don't know. I hear a lot of people, whether they're following Jesus or not, whether they're doing Christmas or not, the 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 awe of things have just kind of it's imploded upon itself. So maybe maybe that's one of the things I'm thinking about as I think about Christmas. It's like where's the joy in what joy, right? Yeah. No, I mean, so I think about, um, again, with our listeners in the UK and Europe, even, uh, The Repair Shop. It's a movie or it's a show that's really popular there about there's a this shop up in, I think it's in the north of England that repairs these old toys and old clocks and old things like that. And it's, and a lot of those, like that is one of my favorite shows currently, if you look it up, uh, that is just... Like you can't, like that's one of those shows that's guaranteed for me to make me, like I'll be bubbling. Like my kids are think I'm either sweating or crying on a normal basis because there's always something coming out of my eyes or or something like that down here in Houston. But and it's, and if I'm watching TV, it's probably crying because of a show like that. And it's so funny to me, and I, and I have wanted a platform to say this, to watch some of these hard and rigored and like stiff upper lip and the you know, in the, embodying the very essence of the of British and English culture in terms of being, you know, with, you know, not letting emotion get to them and watching these people lose, lose themselves in, in a stuffed animal or a pocket watch or an old car that has been restored that they got when they were five. And they, and then all of a sudden their life is coming before them and the love of their mother and their father or their friends or the, those kind of moments, regardless of what you think about the commercialized side of uh, Christmas or anything for that matter, that is a, those are genuine moments. And so I definitely don't want it to come across as if it's not, not recognizing those things, but also it is those very things that then make it even that much harder to look over and go, at least in this country, it's, you know, Christmas in July sale. It's the sales, you know, two months before Black Friday. It's the one on Black Friday. It's the one, you know, between Black Friday and Christmas. It's the one, you know, after, after, you know, January 2nd, hey, don't worry, you didn't miss all the sales kind of stuff. And it just has become not just commercialized, but just a transaction. And it, it is so hard to juxtaposition those things with something like somebody with this silly toy that really doesn't have any real economic value, but means the world to this lady because it's what got her through or got her grandmother through the Blitzkrieg or when her dad was deployed or, man, 
you know how I mean so yeah I'm not knocking those but that that also those stories make it much harder to look over and watch uh, I don't want to say nonsense but the current state of things if you will you know I'm glad at the very beginning you clarified you know you clarified what your state is or was mm-hmm. and I think that's good it's good I, I I like the clarification maybe how I would rephrase it is a deep dissatisfaction or a deep grief over you know, how your reality of the season has shifted. And I think maybe my response to that is, and I was actually watching, I was watching a movie a couple nights ago. I actually sat myself down and made myself watch this. I bet you've never seen this movie. It's kind of awful. It's called Saving Christmas by Kirk Cameron. Oh. And, oh. and I even, I, you know what? I don't even want to bring it up because it irritated <laughs> me so much. But what it is, it's kind of a movie as an as an evangelistic tool. And in the movie, his brother-in-law is the Christmas curmudgeon. He's like, oh, you know, but what, you know what he is, is he's kind of the self-righteous Christian a little bit where he's like, you know, the holiday, it's all pagan. They're getting it all wrong. What's a, what about how is it, any of this connected to the real meaning of Christmas? And the whole movie is Kirk Cameron telling this guy why he's wrong. And, I, and, and I'm just like. Kirk Cameron comes off as this like pompous, like know-it-all. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I don't want to be that guy at the party anymore. But first of all, that's just number one for me. No, the second, the second aspect of that is how can, if if I hear from you all this dissatisfaction about Christmas, like what good is it for me to sit there and tell you, like, you just don't get it. And you, you, you know, like, how come you have this hard heart or you, you've grown, you, you know, you, you've grown cynical and resentful when I, I continually hear the call of just learning how to dwell with people in frustration, letting people be angry, letting people, letting people say, I am so sick of this holiday. I mean, whatever, what, like allowing people to say whatever they need to say. And so, I mean, goodness, you, you haven't even said anything controversial yet. <laughs> No, and, and so I, I think this might be a good time to bring in something that, um, to that point, I was really impressed because you sent me your blog that you wrote about this, uh, which I read and I listened to the, the episode as well. And then I uh, definitely want to put a, a shout out for your current episode on one of your other podcasts around um, with um, Liberty DeVito and, and who's a drummer for Billy Joel for 30 years and how he his take on Santa, which I thought was really, really interesting. But to that point, I think allowing for us to lament as well in, in a sense. I think that's really what it kind of is and, and to not try to fix it per se. And you said, part of your blog, you you talked about how there was some literal change. I mean, which I think is, I don't, I find this very interesting, contextually changing some of the some of the lyrics to be a little bit more joyful. Let's not be quite as negative. Let's kind of bump up that. We don't want to, we don't want to take people down that road. And you said, but what might this progression reveal about ourselves? It is almost as if we cannot allow ourselves to be sad at Christmas, as if we have a pre-preternatural aversion. Sorry, uh, preternatural, preternatural. Pre- oh man, I don't think I've ever seen that word in my life. <laughs> as if we have a pre-natural ver- aversion to admitting that for many, the holidays are a reminder that the world is not as we want it to be. Any such admission becomes a sort of moral failure. So rather than dwell in the sadness, we look away and sing the merry songs and bright songs instead. 
But if we are attentive enough, we will see that many of our most beloved secular and sacred carols have sorrowful connotations intrinsically wrapped up inside them, which often become their most endearing characteristic. And so for me, if I'm going to be controversial, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be the curmudgeon for the curmudgeon's sake. Because part of my, in that spirit of what you're saying, it's hard now. I'm sorry. It's almost impossible uh, to look at socioeconomics, to look at the history of my, and I've done this before in this show, and because that's the thing, it doesn't change. Part of my struggle is just because it's Christmas doesn't mean less people are locked up in my country. It doesn't mean that. It means they're locked up at Christmas. If anything, this is why it hurts, because they should be at home with their families, not serving time for possession of a plant or some other derived uh, ill that is a leftover from a from a time period that we have yet to reconcile and lament with ourselves as a society. That economics dictate the quality of your Christmas. How many people uh, we're helping a family now? I say that as if it means as if I'm some sort of special person because their family can't afford Christmas gifts, and so we're going to help. So, I mean, do we walk around and tell everybody that? Then we're super special. My my problem now is I used to be really into, let's help everybody and give and toy drives and Salvation Army. And now I'm like, why, did, why is it even something we accept to exist at all? Why is it even here? And if we're going to say, we're going to look over at the words in red, if we're going to be inspired by the way of Jesus and the way of following the Christ, then what on earth? How do we then step back and say, well, I got to spend 50 bucks on everybody that I know to get them some gift that doesn't mean anything. Uh, and, and do this the day after we spend this other holiday in the U.S. around Thanksgiving. It says, hey, we're supposed to be thankful. And the way that we're showing that how we're thankful is we eat so much food that it's ridiculous. We, we literally embody the very nature of the surplus that is our country and just bathe in food beyond what we need to, be, to show how thankful we are. And then spend the next day and go and spend the most money we ever spend every all, in the entire year to buy gifts that don't mean anything, to celebrate the birthday of a person who was who embodied and an entity that embodied the most least materialistic approach to life. Jesus wouldn't want a gift on Christmas. I, I, not the Jesus I know, at least the one that I read about. He's not looking for a gift under the tree. Jesus would go, what did you do for others? That's the, <laughs> the Beatitudes all day long on, on December 24th and on December 26th. So enough years of that. And what was the big catalyst for me too was, and this will tie into some of the stuff I've mentioned before, and I don't think I mentioned this, maybe I have, so I apologize if I repeat myself, but my wife got me a handgun for Christmas. It was a Glock 43. It's a single stack nine millimeter. It's completely and totally designed for self-defense, which is a fancy way of saying in, in my state, in my country, if something happens, I can shoot somebody. And, and I just remember sitting there going, even if it's justified, like how in the world, and this is for me interesting, like how in the world is this celebrating the spirit, the idea? And my wife, she, she, she had this really expensive purse. She sold it to buy me that. So she was doing the opposite thinking, he liked this. They'd bought me a deer rifle a few years before that. It was a, a three right Ruger um, uh, Hawkeye. But anyway, it's a, and I love that rifle. It was a deer rifle, but it wasn't, that was used to hunt. This was, at the end of the day, this, this gun is used for one thing. It has a one primary design. And, and that's to kill people. And I kept thinking, man, how do I, how do I reconcile that, that paradox of, I love Jesus, love the way that I want the world to, to, to come together. I want everyone to come to the table. 
I want everyone to be under one nation. I want everyone, I want everyone to be, to understand love and grace, but I'm going to, I'm going to carry a, a, to a, in a person who embodied, who, who, and it's, this is where the struggle, especially in my world comes, you know, read Luke, read it, read the New Testament. They came to do real harm to him and they did. And his reaction was not to do harm back. So how do I reckon, I mean, to be flat out, like, Put it in the middle of the road. You can't. I don't know how you how you get across that line, but I live in a country where people do it all the time. I live in a culture that avoids that like the plague, and doesn't reconcile it. And they will sit there and and want to tell somebody that they're absolutely awful for getting an abortion, but care not about what a what a wayward bomb in Iraq does in Baghdad during the invasion or during Afghanistan over the last twenty years. And that those two things coming together as well, the amount of you know. And we're, we're singing for the soldiers and sailors deployed overseas because I've been there. So those things all kind of coming together over and over. It's kind of like a, a boxing match. Eventually, you just kind of get wore out. And then, then they said again in the economic, it's just, it's just, they just want you to buy stuff. I don't care what it is. Uh, you know, it's a sale on everything. Do, do you feel like, because I go back and forth on this. And my, I'm just, this is a personal thing. Do you feel obligated what, what, to what extent does, does the weight of the world weigh on you? Because uh, I often feel it's also beyond my control. So mm-hmm. you're doing something this year to help a family. I, I really like that thought, which is that at Christmas time, the sorrows of the world don't end. The miseries of other people. If, if I'm doing okay, which I'm not exactly doing okay, I'll say that. But if I am doing generally okay, I'm not a refugee family. Let's say that, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a home. I have a country, I have a, a citizen status that I can just rely on and be safe with my family. Uh, none of that ends for all these other people. But I think the beauty of a holiday is we have an innate need to rest as a society, an innate need to actually celebrate. Like, let's, let's you know, get rid of the whole gifts and the consumerism surrounding it. It's good to gather with people and to laugh and to just enjoy each other. And also it's like, oh my goodness, we need rest. We need to be, we need to find a time to just draw back and like not feel like our lives are about work. But what do we do with that if we know that others are still suffering? Like, how do you, how do you not just live a guilt-ridden life because of that? Well, and I think to compound that right now, and we see this a lot, especially in our country. Is you try to go have time with your friends and family and you're sitting around and all you want to do is be merry and jolly and you know, kick back a, you know, a peppermint hot chocolate, you know, with or without schnapps or whatever your some, preference. Some mold, mold, you mold know, the, spice the, the, wine. Spiced wine. Yeah. yeah give me some of that. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Like just, it's like a hug. That stuff when you get, I mean, the first time I had it, I was, I was just like, this is amazing. And that's fine. But my, what I guess where I struggle now is so many people that I know pretty much everybody I know, then they take that moment, something will be on the television or something will come up and it's, you know, it, let's go Brandon or, you know, the, the world doesn't seem to stop. And then, then there's this assumption in those because they're being comfortable and where they're at. And I was having this discussion with my wife today. I was like, I don't get to, I don't get to express my full opinion a lot of the times because I would then make a lot of people angry. Even people that, they could be subtle stuff. And, and this is part of back to the commercialization side where, I don't know where that's, I don't know where that ends. Like, when is it, when should you address it? And I, and I do it internally. Like we struggle, I struggle with our own kids, what we provide for them on a daily basis um, in terms of how we provide it based on what I grew up with, which was not at all the same. I tell my kids stories and they're just kind of like, you know, they start wanting to feel sorry for you. And I'm like, it's not about feeling sorry for you. 
you know, it's it's about trying to do something better than the next the next version, which is kind of back to the. I mean, I struggle with telling my kids like I wanted to tell my daughter. I even struggle with even telling her even that Santa existed to begin with because I'm like we set him up with all these this BS. You know, there's a tooth fairy and a and a and a rabbit that shows up for some reason and. And, you know, and, and there's this guy that comes once a year and gives you whatever you want. And then if they do get whatever they want, man, they're thinking, this is great. You know, all I got to do is show up on December 25th and have a pulse. And I just get gifts rained on top of me that, I, you know, that somebody didn't even ask for. And they have no concept of what it took to get there. And then you tell them. And then all of a sudden, the uh, one of my favorite stories about my oldest, when we told her about it, we had the same, in between fifth and sixth grade, we had the same speech of... Hey, it's you're going into sixth grade, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and by the way, uh, there's no Santa, there's no Tooth Fairy, there's no Easter Bunny. It's been us the whole time. And I remember my old, or my oldest, we told her, "Hey, there's no Santa." And the first thing she said was, "So I guess that means there's no Easter Bunny as well." And you're setting, and then back to your idea of like, why do we do this? Why do we set kids up with this expectation of this super duper dreamland, and then just kind of, nope. Now you have to. Now you're. It's, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the real value of this whole. The idea of gifts, yes, but the idea of a Santa, do you want a controversial thing? What would it hurt to get rid of Santa Claus? Especially if you go back and look at the history of where it came from and Coca-Cola and they're just trying to sell Cokes. It's like, gosh, you know, it's not really the St. Nick or the St. Nicholas. How much do you know about the the initial history of St. Nicholas? Because I I do like what is brought out about him, which is, you know, saving daughters from having to be sold into prostitution. He was super wealthy and was a quiet, you know, he, he had the, I I think the story of Santa Claus is this guy, you know, Bishop priest who, who, you know, and again, who knows how true the the story even really is to the whole thing. But the, the the story, what it tells us is, Hey, if you've got it, you give it, you Mm -hmm. find where there's need and you just, you just like, and I think that the image of the windowsill, is actually really profound. It's the same thing as the chimney. You don't need to receive credit for it. You just say, here you go. Here you go. Here's your dowry. Here's your dowry. Here's your dowry. And yes, I know that's an art, you know, an anachronistic form of understanding of giving away a, a, a young woman into marriage, almost like a her, she's a property. Let, let's just let's just take the, the the eagle's eye view of that, which is he delivered them. He he said he gave them salvation um on a social status and that that's what the point is and yeah. so what does that look like for us is maybe the question no so maybe it's maybe more of a re you know re going back let's make santa great again chris <laughs> there you go <laughs> and yeah uh, making santa great again isn't giving my kid which by the way every time i, I we went to a lego store in chicago uh, a couple of weeks ago and it's it's fun my kids love lego and then you know there it is every time it's the 800 dollar millennium falcon yeah you know, it's an $800 piece of plastic, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, every time I go, man, should I, of course I shouldn't, it's stupid. I don't have that kind of money. Uh, but, but I, I guess I theoretically could, that's not what Christmas is about, even though that those things are cool. Right. I mean, we all admit like, oh, that's cool. There was like an Optimus prime yeah. and then, you know, all these different cool things that you could do. So well, see, yeah. and then that makes you think of, okay, so you could say you buy that build it, get George Lucas and Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill to sign it. And then you could sell it. And that, that's where it gets the commercial side starts to become this, right? So then it becomes- Even more money. Right, well, <laughs> yeah. now I can make money off this whole thing. And then it's like, it goes back to the spirit side, the original story, like you were mentioning. Yeah, the idea that this guy looked over and said, these girls are gonna be in, you know, and he kind of helped keep that problem away. 
that's that's a beautiful gift, right? In a, in a sense, and I think even especially looking back at it, you know, from a time frame standpoint, like man, what a what a really that's an interesting system to do that, you know, to formally do that the way that they used to, if you will. Uh, for him to have the wisdom to say, let's see if we can't bypass some of this and give some some people some freedom and not have that hanging over them. That that I think rings true with pretty much anybody. And then it's just, but then you go back and look at it and then Coke takes this idea, manipulates it and uses it to make this whole product promotional thing. And then you come to find out. And then again, to be this curmud- you know, curmudgeon, then to come to find out there's literally nothing nutritionally valuable about Coca-Cola. There's no real but it tastes good and it's part of the ambiance and Coke floats. And, but why, but shut up, Sean, we're just having, we're just being merry. And I think the real issue I have with that in the U S specifically is it, it's Christmas every day. We, we, we treat every day like Thanksgiving. We overindulge every day. It's, you know, it's just, I want a gift today. I want it. I want to, it's not just once a year. We want it every single day. So, so the value of the Christmas season in a more agrarian, you know, pre-industrialized society is first of all, everybody was just worked to the bone uh, for the most part, and there was no abundance. So Christmas was this representation of this amazing feast you could have. We, I can go right now and, and get a feast. Like you said, I can do it with almost like any effort. All I have to do is put things in an oven or a microwave, and I've just got myself a big merry feast. Like abundance is just overflowing. So I think that I'm, I'm so glad you brought that point up. Yeah, and I, and I definitely want to take a moment to recognize that my privilege, my role in that, I am aware that as difficult as I had it, however you want to gauge that when I was younger and, in, and however long, that I have been living in a world of abundance. I am firmly aware of that. Reminds me of this series that, that Stephen did, which the, the White Tear series, which you know has been has resonated quite powerfully in terms of that is that is the story that I have to, to a lot to to a major degree, and I don't want anybody out there to think that I'm not aware that I even have the think about it, the privilege to even sit here on a podcast and talk about it. Like, <laughs> there's probably a lot more people out there uh, that could speak to it a whole lot more. But even and I, and I wish they could, and it's not something that I'm it's not something that I'm not not aware of. Okay, so as we kind of begin to wrap up here, I think maybe let's connect that to the, to some, something having to do with, with music itself. Yeah. I think maybe the reason that I, I wanted to dwell on this topic, I wrote an article about it is we can put on a set of songs and it, 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 it gives us the space, right? So if everybody around us is like, why aren't you happy? It's Christmas. <laughs> and you can be like, Hey, listen, I listened to this song. It's a Christmas song and it's a sad song. And I'm just gonna, like, I love how music can be therapy. So maybe I, my question for you is whether it's an old song, a new song, what what can you put on that uh, that takes you to a, a, a place of healing, restoration, rest, even challenge? Sure. I, it's okay, Christmas songs can be challenging too. I, I think the, the traditional slow, oh, holy night, you know, the drummer boy, the ones that slow it down and really make you sit with the music kind of things. Have fun with the Jingle Bell Rocks. And the other day when I, when I Marco Polo'd you, because as I was listening to your, uh, uh, to, as I was reading, I'm sorry, as I was reading, after I listened to I was reading it, my daughter, my youngest, who thinks everything runs on rainbows and unicorns on YouTube, throws on, and she did this, she did this yesterday. She's done this many times. And, uh, you know, I didn't ask her to, she just puts it on. This is great. This is awesome. It's got the fire. And there it is, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And I'm like, like Marco Polo, 
Uh, just so you know, this is in the background as I'm re- <laughs> reading your article, but those, the, the ones that have the, the, just that emotive quality. Have fun with the Jingle Bell Rocks, but Oh Holy Night, um, you know, uh, even the German Oh Tannenbaum, Oh Tannenbaum, you know, that, that's really interesting to me. And I, th- I think those kinds of songs, st- they're hard not to like still, and even though I still have a place with other ones, but those I think are definitely have a place. Well, thanks, Sean. It's been good talking to you. Always. Anything else you wanted to add that you didn't get a chance to, N- well, to mention? Well, in all earnest, I do hope that you and yours have a, have a Merry Christmas and, and all those out there that are listening have a great holidays and however you want to perceive it. And that, uh, you know, this, I do think the spirit of Christmas is not dead or the spirit of Christmas is not gone. I, I just think it's how we align and how we resonate with it and the synergies that it creates is is probably where we should put our focus and find out what what is it that's driving us relative yeah. to that season? You know, did you ever watch the old Seinfeld episode, Festivus? Oh, of course. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's kind of what you, you did a little bit of an airing of grievances here. <laughs> you know, like we need Jerry Stiller. We need the... we need Jerry Stiller. <laughs> you know, I got I got problems with a lot of you people. Like, what does he say? You know, yeah, I'm going to exactly. tell you about it. You know, I'm going to tell you, Stephen. I don't like you sometimes. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. You know, and uh, Natasha. Da, 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 you know. <laughs> Maybe there's something to that. You know, you give people space to air the grievances, whatever they look like, right? Yeah, I mean, well, not to get too far. Yeah, you know, it's sounds sounds therapeutic. Yeah. That's what I'll tell you. Well, you too, Sean. Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas, the whole the whole thing. May you find rest and yeah, wh- whatever whatever you, God is leading you to help others. Me too, right? I, I love to just be a hermit in my room and pretend the world outside me doesn't exist. So every time I have these conversations, it's a, it's a challenge. Well, I, I will say that that's funny that you say that because I would still, I still see you as that person who's keeping hope alive, if that way, if you will. So, so I think that that's a gift that you definitely have given me personally, if I'm being transparent, that I can count on you to, to not join me and just be like, yep, it's all crap, Sean. <laughs> I agree. Burn yeah. it down and start over. It's awful. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm a sucker for like my Christmas specials. I've watched like four or five things by already. So, I mean, you know, I, I at the heart, I'm just this little boy still, you know. Stay there. Stay gold, Johnny. Stay gold. <laughs> oh, thanks, Sean. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, my friend. Thanks again to Sean McCoy for joining me. Sean, it was a great talk. Thanks for opening up. This has been part of our annual series of Christmas tent talks. You can find links to those past episodes in the show notes. There you can also find a link to my article on the importance of sad Christmas songs. Finally, the music you hear today, the original Christmas music, can be found on my Bandcamp music page chrismarshan.bandcamp.com This year I recorded a new Christmas song as I've been doing for the past few years. This year's entry is Coventry Carol which happens to be one of the saddest Christmas songs ever written due to the subject matter it was inspired by. I hope you enjoy the song. It's not too sad. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. 
Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.